Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. John eleven forty five, and I'll be reading into chapter 12 uh, up to verse 11. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think, that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. Then, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated.
All right, we have been studying the the gospel according to John now for a few months, and again every week we put up the the first slide. All right, so here's your test. What's the first slide? It's not up. What's it? What's, what's it going to be? Say again. The diagram. Okay, so we got a diagram. The two. Yeah, you're cheating though. You gave one, you gave the message. And you're the first one who put it up there. <laughs> That's kind of like insider trading, you know. <laughs> you made the diagram. See, this I'm saying. Okay, so we have the two the twofold purpose. Maybe help me out. We're not advancing. No. So this is a big deal to me because here we go. Whew. Um, I haven't been able to do this presentation on my laptop because Windows put, it's got to be Windows put out a new update. I thought it was a BIOS update on my laptop. I spent a lot of time with Dell on the phone this week, and I, it's, it's not showing my presentation. So when I got here, there was an update happening on the computer here. Uh, yes, yes. And it didn't work. So I went and I updated LibreOffice here. Whew. And it did work here. I updated LibreOffice on my laptop. It's still not working. So I still have to figure that one out. But we think it might be a graphics processor thing. Because there's problems on the one screen. But on the other screen, it's not, actually. I don't know if you noted that. So Sam, I think, nailed it the other day when we were talking about it. The delay in the graphics processing is allowing this to work. So it's at a lower resolution So than my, than my laptop is. Anyways, whatever. So that was kind of fearful for this moment. I thought, okay, we are going without the presentation. So, but we have this slide. It's been here every week, right? So that John's purpose in writing this gospel is to present Jesus as the Son of God. And I hope as we're going through this, you're noting it's not just John presenting Jesus as the Son of God. He's communicating that Jesus presented himself as the Son of God. The Son of God who became the Lamb of God in order to take away the sins of the world. And though we haven't gotten to John 17 yet, again, that underlying, I really believe the, uh, one of those underlying purposes is, is the unity of the church. That, again, you've got to understand that John's writing this in the late first century. Already there are false teachers in the church who are dividing the church, who are proclaiming that Jesus only came um, that the Spirit of God came upon Jesus at baptism and he left prior to the, to the death. That Jesus really was just a man. He, he was just a good teacher. That Jesus had, you know, these are all different opportunities. That Jesus had this special knowledge, Gnosticism, okay? And so John is kind of dealing with all these things. And, he, and he's presenting, no, no, this is exactly what Jesus declared. He is Yahweh incarnate. Deal with it. And so that's what the the church needs to be unified on, and that is the deity of Christ. And so Jesus, as we saw recently now, has drawn that line in the sand, okay? John chapter 8. He has come out very clearly now and has declared, I am, I am. Ani, Yahweh. Okay, in the Hebrew, Yahweh declares, I am Yahweh. I am, I am. That's who I am. That's exactly what Jesus then declares. In the Greek, it's ego, I me, but it's I am, I am. That's who I am. And so the Jews understood it because the Jews took up stones to, to kill him, okay? And so he's basically saying to them, you need to decide 
which, line of the, which side of the line are you going to stand? Okay? And so what are the things we saw? Jesus declares that he is, and then he does something that only the creator could do. He healed a guy who was born blind. And so as Steve, who's in Kyrgyzstan um, now, said, though even while we were here, he said he'd have to redo everything because everything at this point is, is totally gone. So it's not just fixing a cornea. It's not just flipping the retina. He's creating everything within this guy at this very moment. And so he's doing something that only the creator could do. Now, he then states this traumatic, sta- dramatic, not traumatic, but it is traumatic to the people listening to it at the moment, right? But this dramatic statement, and he says, the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. And while they're trying to process this, and they're, they're discussing Abraham and all this kind of stuff, Jesus says to them, he says, guys, listen to me. Before Abraham was, I am. And you've got to understand the tenses. Before Abraham was, I am. Not I was, but I am. I have always existed. I am, I am. I am Yahweh, I am God in the flesh. Again, how did the Jews respond to this? Take up stones in, try to kill them. Because... He's a mere man. This is what they state. You being a mere man, what? Declare yourself to be God. Because Jesus asked, for what, my, for what are these good works are you killing me for? He said, we're not killing you for good work. We want to kill you because you being a mere man have made yourself God. And Jesus says, look, I know this is hard for you to believe. But if you can't believe me for my very word's sake, believe me for the work's sake. And then he does what? He raises Lazarus from the dead. A guy who has been dead four days. Lord, by this time, he stinketh. Yeah, he wasn't even working, you know? Anyways, but yeah, by this time, he stinketh. And so he says, roll the stone away. Roll the stone away. And then he declares, Lazarus. Remember, we talked about that. Specific. Come forth. And I love that they got him right. (laughs) <laughs> don't you want as he come out you know, boop, boop, boop. you know the, the bobbing out kind of thing i mean the guy's coming out of the tomb he's been dead four days and we're told at the very end of that passage then there in john 11 just before where chuck started reading today that many of the jews believed because of what they saw many of the jews now believe they've been on the fence But now they've chosen sides. And if you get nothing else today, there's two points. A, the primary point, you've got to choose a side. You ain't hanging on the fence. If you think you're hanging on the fence, you're on the wrong side of the fence. It's one or the other. There's no being on the fence. You either believe or you don't believe. You're either going across, you're either rappelling down the, 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 uh, the, the face of the cliff or you're still standing on top there's no hanging in the middle do you get what i'm saying okay that's what jesus is doing he's forcing people to make take sides which side of the line are you going to be on the second thing is that god 
allows persecution into the life of his, his children. Okay, that's an underlying tone that you're going to see in a moment. Okay, um, but for the sake of his name, that happens. But as a whole, there needs to be a decision. And the decision that you make regarding this question, who is Jesus, is going to have a profound difference in your life. We're going to see, first of all, the Sanhedrin, who make a decision. Their decision is going to be what? You guys know the story. It was just read. What's their story? Reject him. Kill him. But then you're going to, we're, going to, we're going to talk about Mary. What's her decision? To believe. And that results in devotion. So to reject Christ, ultimately, is going to be suppress the truth. To suppress anything that has to do with the truth. To accept Christ is then to rejoice in the truth. Do you get it? There is no middle ground. There is no middle ground. You either want it or you don't want it. So first, oh yeah, so brings it down. The, the decision that the, the, uh, the Sanhedrin has to make. Is he a blasphemous deceiver or is the incarnate presence of the Yahweh? Because I wanted to point out here, because it's going to sound like we're really nailing the Sanhedrin. But I want you to understand the, the importance of, that the Sanhedrin have right now. They are the religious what? Leaders. Okay? Shepherds, right? Overseers of, of Israel in a religious, spiritual way. They're going to give an account to God, yes, for, for what they allow in. And so if Jesus is this blasphemous deceiver, then what needs to happen to him? He needs to be silenced. Do, do you understand? They need to warn the people. Because if he is, if he is a blasphemous deceiver, then they're responsible before God. Talking about, I, I, I get the weight, and I think David and Chuck and Steve understand this. And you may understand this a little bit, but there's some slight difference when you go from um, just coming to church on Sunday to being the one who's responsible for what the church believes and what you're going to accept, allow in the assembly. There's a huge weight. James 3.1 says, Be not many masters, because such have the greater condemnation. I believe it. I understand it. And I've shared, like even with the, the first church that I pastored and how the, the split occurred, I take responsibility. I know there's going to be some part where I stand before Christ. I, I give an account for that. I had, I had part in that. And I don't run away from it. You accept responsibility. Yes, guys, accept responsibility. Reject passivity. Look toward the future reward. God will honor it. Okay? But the fact is that we will give an account for what we allow in the assembly. Some may take that wrong and, and feel like that's control, but that's not control. So I get these guys. I, I get, I, so there's a part where we can, we can bang on them, but there is a part where they have a responsibility. Now, we're going to see in just a moment their motivations aren't pure. Okay? So let's, real quick, because we're going to talk about this a little bit later on, this is just a, re a quick reminder of um, the distance where, where everything's at here. And so Bethany to the Temple Mount is approximately 15 stadium or 1.75 miles. It's in your, a lot of your translation says two miles, but, but literally in the, in the Greek it's 15 stadium, which going back through is one, one and three quarter mile. Okay, um, but it's again hilly. Okay, you're going down a hill, back up the hill on the other side because you're going through the, the uh, Kidron Valley to get there. But 
from over here, and Jesus is probably up in this area again, okay? Remember, he's over in the area where John was baptizing, okay? And this is Jericho. That They would come down the, the, um, the Jordan Rift, and then they would come up this wadi. Remember this black line here? That's a, that's a river. It's a river thing, okay? And they would walk along the, the ledge of the, of the river, of the wadi, okay? That was the roads back then. They didn't have interstates. Don't, don't be thinking, you know, we, we think today with roads and everything. You know, it wasn't that way. You went along the ridge, okay? And so, like, even up at, we go to Marsh's uh, mom and dad's area, a lot of the roads that we travel were the horse trails, man. They were along the ridge, and they just paved them, you know? I mean, in some, you go to some of the areas, and it's like, oh, two cars here, huh? Anyways, they'll fit, but they're, like, nailing your door handles together and um you think that's bad um this is a little side but this is kind of fun we did a missions trip in west virginia once um kermit west virginia and this is over the mountains and through the woods to grandmother's house we go anyways and this is where people literally still are living in cabins across the swinging bridge okay so that they go across walk across the swinging bridge across the the creek to get to their cabin and they have refrigerators anyways but yeah, just think that one through. And so, but one of the roads, this is for real, one of the roads that we drove on in a 15-passenger van was through a one-lane train tunnel. And then halfway through the train tunnel is an opening so that if a car's coming either way, when you get to the middle, you go <laughs> past each other. But when you came out the other side, you literally came to the train trestle with two-by-sixes for your tires yeah anyways so you're shocked and think that's primitive well it was primitive even more primitive okay they actually walked okay and and whoa figure that one out okay and they actually walked along these wadis okay that was that's what they, how they did this so this isn't just like oh well he just spent an hour you know he just traveled an hour from here or whatever this is a couple hour walk here this is a couple days walking okay so when jesus is leaving jerusalem he's going back to the jordan area because he's you know they're trying to kill him and stuff i guess it's it's a process it's a walking thing going on okay so so we're seeing that whole lot going on so now he's back he's back coming back um in to, to bethany in the uh the sanhedrin they're they're being forced to make a decision here because lazarus has been raised from the dead okay and so they're getting together and they're trying to figure out what are we going to do right because this guy is doing what? Some pretty good miracles. That's what they admit. They acknowledge this. Jesus is, is doing things that only God can do. Words are important. He's doing miracles. He's just not doing wonders. Okay? So there's a sense where they understand that he is being able to perform such feats that it's, we can't, we can't answer this. We, we can't give it a, a, a justification for it apart from it has to be from God. But we know it can't be from God because it goes against our theology. I get that. That's a struggle. Yes. can't be so we struggle with this because we have our what theology we have our understanding we know how messiah is supposed to come he's supposed to come on a white horse 
and he's supposed to take us away from Rome, and he's supposed to supposed to rule with an iron rod. Is that true? Yes, 100% is true. You better be bobbing your head yes. Because it's going to happen just in the future. They missed the mystery part. And that is Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9 was very clear that he was going to come as a what? Say again? Well, it's 53, but yes, that goes into 53. But Isaiah 7, 9, he's going to come as a baby. And he was going to be born of a virgin. They thought he was going to come out of nowhere like Melchizedek. Okay, and so yeah, they did. You know that they, they just thought that he's going to show up. God's going to come. He's going to show up, and all of a sudden he's going to be like Melchizedek, and he's and he's just going to be there. And this is going to be Messiah, and we're going to follow him. But we know where this guy's from, man. We know his family. We know he was from Nazareth. I mean, this doesn't make any sense. It's not adding up, and yet he's what? He's doing some impressive things. I don't remember the last time I saw a man born blind receive his sight. I can't remember the last time I saw a guy who was dead four days, by name specifically, brought from the grave. Do you get what I'm saying? I mean, so put yourself in their position right now. This guy's claiming to be God. Are you going to accept it? But the big thing here, to me, is they acknowledged their motivation. Look down. In verse, the end of 47, what shall we do? For this man works many, what? Signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. Don't have a problem so far, do you? And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. What's their motivation? Self-preservation. Self-preservation. Maslow's hierarchy of needs existed long before Maslow wrote them down. The base need, quote-unquote, of mankind is self-preservation. Everything builds upon self-preservation. Do you know what happens when you come to Jesus? That triangle of needs gets flipped. And you're willing to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Because you know where you're going to go. But if you have no hope in what's happening at the, on the other side, then everything you got is what? Is right here. This is your heaven. And so if, think about it. If you are laying up treasures for yourself here on earth, what does it say about your focus? That you believe this is heaven. And that what's on the other side isn't worth it. But if you believe what's waiting on the other side is eternal, so Aunt Susie, Susie, all right, she's living it. And, and her faith is now sight. The rewards are real. You get it? But for us, it's still that, no, it's real. And how we live it out. So for these guys, it wasn't real. God's a, God's a topic. God's a subject. But God's not a relationship. Do you get it? And so, everything they're looking forward to is here on the earth. Their position, their place, their power, 
their privilege is all here. But do you get it, child of God? You got a position. You got a place. You got some authority that's not based upon who you are here. It's who you are there. And you are that now. I am a child of God right now. I am an ambassador of Christ right now. I have privilege right now. But it ain't the privilege that the world thinks about privilege. I know where I'm going. I don't have to fear. These guys do. Who are they fearing? The Romans. They're fearing the world leaders. Do you... I'm... I, you know I try not to become political. I can't come into the passage and not see politics. Do you understand that the world is trying to get you to live in fear right now? That the world is trying to get you to do things? Now, I'm not going to get into the mask, no mask, and uh, take a shot, don't take a shot. That's for you, okay? But if the motivation is fear, because you're fearing the powers, the authorities of the world, your, your, your fear is, is misguided. We honor them, Romans 13, we honor them, but my ultimate fear is who? Is God. He controls it all. I can get COVID with or without a mask. Do you get it? And I can die with or without COVID. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not making comments about masks, no masks, shots, no shots. I don't really care. People are dying with or without. You get it? I'm a citizen of heaven. And I ought not fear man. Period. If I am functioning out of fear of man, then I'm short-sighted. That's these priests. They're fearing Rome. Rome's going to come in. They're going to take our country. They're going to take our position. We've got to kill this guy. Do you understand that as a believer in Jesus, the world sees you right now in the same light as they see Jesus? And we're going to see in a moment, Lazarus. You are the problem. You are the issue. But it shouldn't surprise you. It's happening all around the world. It's just that you have had this Americana privilege of not understanding persecution. But it's coming to a neighborhood near you. And like the Jews, we don't like it. Romans chapter 9, right, Gerard? It was good when it was Esau, or Jacob I love and Esau I hated, right? So he could hate the rest of the world and love the Americans, and, and we're all good as long as the persecution doesn't come to us, the persecution comes to the rest of the world, and we think we're still going to be raptured before all this happens because we're Americans, and we, don't, we shouldn't go through tribulations and trials and tri- all that other kind of stuff. Yeah, amen. That's exactly right. But guess what, folks? You're just like they are. Persecution's happening. It's increasing. Are you a frog in a kettle? And you're not recognizing it? Slowly heat the fire, and they'll never know it. We have been under the wrath of God for years. Read Romans chapter 1. The ultimate of Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God, is when women exchange the use of a man and men exchange the use of a woman. 
for one of their own kind. That's the ultimate. When God hands us over to ourselves and says, you want to be God, you be God. See where it leads you. Our nation is living in the midst of the wrath of God, and we don't even know it because we have our eyes on affluence rather than holiness. These guys make the natural decision. One, I think, that many of us would struggle with ourselves. Because we don't want the way we're living disrupted. And this guy is disrupting the common flow. So what's got to go? He's got to go. He's got to go. He's got to die. We're going to reject him. Caiaphas says from Daniel chapter 9, he doesn't really realize he's he's going Daniel chapter 9 here, but I I want us to go to Daniel 9. Because this is fun. We we looked at, over the last couple weeks, we looked at Daniel 11, looked at Daniel 12. Isn't it amazing how Jesus is just fulfilling a lot of these prophetic things? And others are surrounding him, and they just don't even get it. But in Daniel 9, we read about the, um, the 70 weeks that are for, for Israel. And um, I'm going to start at 24 just for the context of it all. Um, Daniel is given this vision, and then he's given the, uh, the clarification of it. Starting in verse 24, Daniel 9. It says, 70 weeks are determined for your people. So this is talking to Daniel. Who's his people? Israel, okay? For your people in your holy city. What's that? Jerusalem. Do we understand? This prop, This vision is for who? For Israel in Jerusalem, okay? To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, that was Artaxerxes' command, okay, which we read about, okay, until Messiah the Prince, who's that? Jesus. Isn't it kind of fun? Okay. Do you know what you just told here very quickly? Jesus is coming, but we're given a timetable. We're given two specific events. Okay. So, so, from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, 16, so 69 weeks, in the street, that's 483 years if you're trying to calculate that out, the street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, that's the 7 and 62, the 69 weeks that are 483 years, Messiah shall be what? Messiah shall be cut off. Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood till the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Do you know what's so exciting about this passage? Caiaphas goes and prophesies, right? At the beginning of the year, he had prophesied that it would be best for for the nation for what? One man to die. But not just for the nation, but for all people, right? It's going, to be, it's going to be expedient for one man to die. And do you understand the motivation again? Go back to the priests. What was their motivation? Self-preservation. But specifically, 
because we're worried that what's going to happen? The Romans are going to come in. Did you read Daniel 9 with me? Right, right after Messiah is cut off, what's going to happen? The people of the prince are going to come in and destroy the city. Do you know what happened after Jesus was crucified? Like 40 years later? The city gets destroyed. <laughs> Isn't this fun? He's fulfilling the prophecy and he doesn't even know it. But he should know it. He's the high priest. He ought to know the word. God specifically says 483 years after this decree to rebuild Jerusalem, Messiah is going to be in your midst. And you're going to cut him off. And after you cut him off, the Roman, the, not the Romans, but the world empire, the world power at the moment is going to what? It's going to come and wipe you out. Now, I think if you're meditating on the scripture, see, this is where we're talking about the fear of man and all this kind of stuff, and it doesn't match with my theology. It's because they weren't what? They weren't really studying the word. Because God had it in his word. For them to read. For them to know. Timetables are there. I don't have time to get into all that. There's a whole lot I'd love to talk to you about prophetic timetables. It's amazing how much God has in his word. But most people don't know it because they don't read it. They don't meditate upon it. They don't study it. To whom much is given, what? Ooh, you can quote that one. Much is required. So do you live it? Do you live it like you believe it? Do you study the word? Do you read the word so that you might understand the word? Because you're going to give an account for the word, what you know, what you don't know. And I don't mean that pridefully. Again, be not many masters, such as the greater what? Condemnation. I get it. And I know somewhere in my theology I'm wrong. But if I knew where it was, I'd change it. But I'm not God. I'm imperfect. So probably somewhere along the line, I got something wrong. I'm okay with that. I'm not, but I am. You get what I'm saying? I want him to continue to what? Hone me. Change me. Okay? I don't want to be stuck. Like those guys. I want to be like the Bereans. When Paul came and he gave them the message, what did the Bereans do? They did what, Brian? How often did they search it? Daily. They searched the scriptures daily to find out whether the things that Paul was telling them was true. And you know what happened? They got saved. Because the things that Paul was telling them were true. Paul told the elders of Ephesus, I've not shunned to declare to you the what? Whole counsel of God. So, their proclamations, their plots. They began then to plot to kill Jesus, okay? They, they sent that word. If anybody knows where he's at, let us know where he's at so we can take him, okay? But they're not wanting to take him, we know from other gospel accounts as well. They don't really want to do it during Passover because it's going to really cause an uproar. But in the end, what happens? They take him during Passover, okay? So, they choose then to suppress the truth. We're going to skip past Mary for a moment, drop down to the bottom of our reading where we talk about this situation with Lazarus because they're in a conundrum. Because the reality is, it's not just Jesus. Because we can get rid of Jesus. But we still got this guy walking around that everybody knows was what? Was dead. 
that's kind of hard evidence to get rid of. I mean, are you Lazarus? Yes. Did you die? Yeah, sort of did. <laughs> you know? Did anybody know it? Well, yeah, there was like lots of people there. Remember all the people from Bethany were there? They all saw it. I mean, you know? Yeah, lots of people knew that. So what are we going to do? we got this conundrum. People are believing in Jesus because of Lazarus' resurrection. Do you understand that people are believing in Jesus because of your witness and your testimony? Or they should be? Make sense? You should be a walking Lazarus. Have you ever been resurrected? Yes, you have. That's exactly right. Yes, you have. You may not have been physically resurrected, but you've been spiritually resurrected. There ought to be the old man died and the new man came on. People ought to see that there is a different Bob. They knew Bob B.C., not Bob Corbin, before Christ. Literally, right? And then they knew Bob what? A.D. Anno Domini. After, anyways, after the year of the Lord. Then when he came into me. There's a difference in Bob. Do you get it? And so, they got to get rid of me in order to get rid of the witness. They got to get rid of you in order to get rid of the witness. Or they just need to what? Suppress us. And that's what they choose to do. We don't have time to go in through all these. But Acts 1, 18, 22, 25 talks about the suppression of the truth. That's where I talked about earlier about the wrath of God. Because the wrath of God's coming because they choose to suppress the truth. They don't want to know the truth. And so they want to force down the truth. Acts 4, Acts 5 is all about the, the disciples going before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin said, we, we, you are not allowed anymore to preach in the name of Jesus. And they said, well, you guys need to make a decision on this one. Do you think it's better for us to obey God or you? Well, then they come back, Acts 5, right? And they say, listen, didn't we, tell, didn't we tell you? Didn't we command you? Didn't we order you not to preach in this guy's name anymore? And he says, and the disciples are like, hello, let's get a grip here, guys. We told you that we're going to obey God rather than men. Here it is. So what about you? What about me? How bold are you in your witness for Christ? Do people get annoyed at you sometimes because you talk about Jesus? If you're blending in, if you're like camouflage in the woods so the deer don't see you, but you're camouflaged in the world so the, un- un- the, the sinners don't see you, then you're not a light. Jesus said we ought to be like cities that are set upon a hill whose light, what? What's the first, next word? Cannot. Whose light cannot be hid. That's how it plays out. You ought to be, have Jesus in you so much. You ought to be talking about him so much, about what he's done for you, that you can't be hid. It just happens. Did you ever come from a dark place into a place where the, all the lights are on? What's, that, what's, it, what's it feel like? That ought to what it be like for a sinner coming into your presence. <sighs> I got to keep moving on. Okay, so their conclusion: not only does Jesus got to die, Lazarus got to die too. Okay, now I'm going to have Justin pass this out. I don't have time to go through this. I have 20 after I take 119 copies of this. So take one per family or family unit or whatever. Okay.
Um, so I don't have time to talk about it, but it's the timing, the setting of it, okay? Um, I know there will be some questions on it. I did this a long time ago um, when we went through Matthew. Is, I, last time I handed this out. Um, personally, I believe Jesus died on a Thursday. Um, I'll die for that. Um, anyways, and so that wasn't meant to be a, but yeah, but I, I, I do. I, I think that I'm convinced that he died Thursday. Um, and it's all based upon the feasts, okay? So, but I don't have time to get on that. But there is, a, there is a question when it comes to this situation with Mary, okay, and that, that this situation is occurring six days prior to Passover. In Mark, it's recurring two days prior to Passover, okay? So anyways, potentially two different um, occasions, okay? Right there, there and there. But you can read note number two is the big note, okay, because John doesn't talk about uh, Passover in a Jewish way. He's, again, remember, he's living out in a Gentile, Gentile world. There is a blending together of the Feast of Passover, which is on Nisan 14, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a seven-day feast beginning on Nisan 15. And you need to understand there's also a blending of calendars going on because we use a calendar that begins at midnight, right? Jewish people begin with a calendar that started when? At sundown. So sundown to sundown, okay? So you see the dotted line, the little red dotted line in the middle of that? That's because it's reflecting the two different days, okay? So when John's talking, he's not necessarily talking. He's blending together the Jew-Gentile concepts. And so you can read all that, okay? But, but anyways, so I believe that this is all happening on Shabbat, okay? This is um, the, 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 a Sabbath dinner um, that's going on. They're gathering together. So you can take that for whatever it's worth, but that's where it's at. I don't want to spend any more time on it, okay? So that's the setting of six days before Passover in Bethany. We already looked at the map, okay? Now, what happens, though, is that, again, Mary is expressing her devotion to Jesus for what he has done for her, okay? And she is immediately vilified by Judas, okay? He just looks down on her, disparaging, you know, ah, you know, this is awful. I cannot believe it was such a waste. We're taking all this spike nard. Okay, again, it's one year when we, Lord willing, if I remember this, when we come to the, the burial of Christ, we'll talk about this because of what Joseph offers, what he uses for the burial of Christ. It's just amazing and compared to this. But this pound of um, spike nard is worth one year's wages. Okay, so um, note the, the word up here, nardu pistakas paratamu. Um, it's, we're talking about, it's spikenard, okay, that is faithful. That's from pistuo, um, that it's, it's faithful, um, and it's costly. So it is faithful, costly spikenard. The point is, this is what? Say it again. It's the good stuff. She didn't offer him the leftovers. She didn't get out of the Avon collection. Okay? So you guys realize Hebrew word, for evil is Avon. But anyways, go, we'll keep it moving on. So, um, you, ladies, you can take that one. Okay? So, but he represents, in my mind, the accuser. Again, I don't have time to go through all these things. But Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Every time you try to serve Christ, what does Satan like to do? Beat you down. You're not worthy to do that. Who are you to do that? Do you know what you just did? You know what you just did. You know your anger like that. Here you want to be, look, I, I, man, I don't deserve to be a pastor. <laughs> this is amazing to me. And I remember when I was voted in first at, at the previous church I was at, and I was like on my knees, and I was like, God, I, I, 
I don't deserve this. Why? Why? And I distinctly remember hearing, that's why you're here. It's where you got to start, and I'm not raising myself up on that, just that's where you got to get to the point that you don't deserve it. It's really okay. So when Satan comes and tells you you don't deserve it, you're right, brother. Well, don't call him brother. But you get what I'm saying. But you're right. You're, you're definitely right. I don't deserve it. Praise God. I mean, it's all by God's grace that he redeemed me. I didn't do anything. This isn't about me. This is about him. But there's Judas. What a waste. What a waste. I mean, could think of all the poor people you could have fed with that. You could have sold it. We won't get into his motives. But just think about it. Satan loves to do that. Okay? But what I love the most about this whole thing is that immediately, Judas vilifies her, but immediately, Jesus comes to her defense. And that's exactly how it is before the Father's throne. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Jesus is the advocate of the brethren. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. Brethren, I write these things unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He's my advocate. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for me. Satan wants to come and say, yeah, but he, get away. He's mine. It's my blood that's all over him. He's a work in progress. Isn't that cool stuff? Jesus said, leave her alone. Leave her alone. She is doing something beautiful for me. Romans 14. We do it for Christ, not for people. No fear of man. I do it for Christ. She's doing it for me. She's anointing me before my, my death. They still don't get it. It's getting ready to happen. He's still telling them I'm going to die. And they're still missing it. Because they're focusing on the here and now. They're laying up treasures on earth. They're struggling with this whole thing. Hindsight's 2020. Again, I've got it written right here. Do I have it nailed down? Or am I still struggling? In the end, who is Jesus to you? Is he... Yahweh incarnate. What has God done in your life that would draw the attention of those who do not believe? And I don't mean that like challenging you. Well, I do, but I don't mean to like, he hasn't done anything. I want you to think about it because he probably has. What has God done in your life that would draw the attention of those who don't believe? If he has saved your soul, and transformed your life, then I'll bet you, nickel to a dollar, people begin to notice. But that's when you're walking in hell, in submission to him. Are you willing to suffer persecution for the name of Christ? Lazarus was resurrected. Think about this now. Was resurrected in order to be persecuted. Did you ever think about that one? He was resurrected in order to be persecuted. We're not told about Lazarus anymore, other than the Jews what? Wanted to kill him. 
What do you, do you think they changed that after Jesus raised from the dead? What about James and the head cut off? John being thumped in oil. And I could go through Fox's Book of Martyr and talk about all these people. Judas. I mean, Judas. Lazarus was resurrected in order for him to be able to go through persecution. And we think we should get a buy. Are you willing to suffer for the name of Jesus? Persecution may come. They may seek to stifle God's word. But we need to remember that both the word of God and the child of God, what? Endure forever. Don't focus on this life. Focus on the afterlife. And in the end then, is there a need to change the way, a need to change the way you think and change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. You alone are the most high God. And you are in control of all things. Even things that we don't feel like are going our way. God, I pray that you would be magnified. Help us to be bold in our witness for you. Help us, Lord, to live a resurrected life for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.